And we'll turn together in our Bibles to Matthew 5 as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. You can turn in page 9 of your bulletin. It's also printed there. But we continue to journey paragraph by paragraph or pericope by pericope, a fancy scriptural word for paragraph, uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. And so we find ourselves this morning continuing in Matthew 5, but looking at verses 33 through 37. This is part 15 of our series. Again, Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. It's also printed for you on page nine in your bulletin. Hear these words of Jesus. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, Or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Amen. There once was a shepherd boy who was bored as he sat on the hillside watching the village sheep. To amuse himself, he took a great breath and sang out, wolf, wolf. The wolf is chasing the sheep. The villagers came running up the hill to help the boy drive the wolf away, but when they arrived at the top of the hill, they found no wolf. The boy laughed and laughed at the sight of their angry faces. Don't cry, wolf. Shepherd boy, said the villagers, when there's no wolf, and they went back down the hill grumbling. Later, the boy sang out again, wolf, wolf, the wolf is chasing the sheep. To his naughty delight, he watched the villagers run again up the hill to help him drive the wolf away. But when the villagers saw no wolf, they sternly said, save your frightened song for when there is really something wrong. Don't cry wolf when there is no wolf. But again, the boy just grinned and laughed and watched him go grumbling back down the hill once more. Later, he saw a real wolf prowling about his flock. Alarmed, he leapt to his feet and sang out loudly as he could, Wolf! Wolf! But the villagers thought he was trying to fool them again, and they didn't come. At sunset, everyone wondered why the shepherd boy hadn't returned to the village with their sheep. They went up the hill to find the boy, and they found him weeping. There really was a wolf here. The flock has scattered. I cried out, wolf, but why didn't you come? An older man tried to comfort the boy as they walked back to the village. We'll help you look for the lost sheep in the morning, he said, putting his arm around the boy. But nobody believes a liar, even when they're telling the truth. A familiar story, obviously one that we know well. I've often said that we don't have to be master theologians. I would even argue that a non-Christian should be able to uh, verify or uh, give voice and acknowledge the truth of certain doctrines. Some of those doctrines would be, for instance, original sin, 
The fact that we're born sinners, that doesn't seem to be something that has to be proven. I think you can look around the world, look in your life, you can look at the nightly news and realize that original sin exists. It's very, very real. Again, regardless of your background or theological persuasion, I think even a non-Christian, I would argue, could acknowledge the reality of that. Or another doctrine, such as total depravity. This idea that we are sinful all the way down, that no part of our life is exempt. Perhaps we're not as sinful as we could be, but we are certainly sinful all the way down. Again, no part of our life is exempt. And I believe that because if you have ever raised children, as you know I am doing, there are certain things you do not have to tell them, (laughs) right? You don't have to teach your children to pick on their siblings, to pick on their brother or sister. You don't need to teach your children things like hoarding toys and not sharing. You don't have to teach children things like stretching or hiding the truth, right? Which again is why this fable that I just read, this fable from Aesop is so well known. It's so universal and it's so generally agreed upon, again, regardless of cultures or backgrounds, or ages. There are certain things we simply don't have to be taught, but we do just inherently. And again, one of those things would be to stretch or hide the truth. Again, without any coaching or tutelage, we will hide the truth. We will manipulate the truth. We will spin the truth, avoid the truth. When? When? When it's in our best interest to do so, right? When it's in our best interest to do so, we will take the truth, and again, we might not hide it all together, but we might just tweak it a little bit, or spin it a little bit, again, or manipulate it a little bit. We might delay the truth. We might push it off. We might promise something only then to backtrack a little bit. We might promise something only when we then realize how difficult such a promise will be, We'll try to renegotiate our way out of it. Or again, we'll backtrack out of it. Well, again, this is what lays at the heart of Old Testament teachings surrounding this notion of vows and surrounding this notion of oaths. And this is exactly what Jesus has in mind here as he begins to offer once again his teaching or his vantage point on certain aspects of the Mosaic law that his hearers would have been familiar with. And again, he's not giving necessarily a new interpretation. He's not giving a new law, but he is simply giving the originally intended interpretation of these laws. He's taking them, again, from the surface down to their very core, to the heart of what actually lay behind these things. And so again, just like truth-stretching, doesn't need to be taught to our children, nor does it need to be taught to our culture, but we come by it naturally. This, again, was true of every time period and culture throughout history, including the Hebrew culture, including the culture of the Old Testament and the culture upon which Jesus and those who were with him in that day stood upon. So, for instance, they would have been taught things like this. Ecclesiastes 5, if you're taking notes. Ecclesiastes 5 verses four through seven. Hear this. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. 
I love that, I love that verse. God doesn't suffer fools lightly, right? When you, when you make a vow to God, don't delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? It's pretty, pretty strong. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Haven't we done that before? We make these grandiose promises and the, and the words pile up and the, and the guarantees pile up. But do we keep those words and promises? Leviticus 19, verse 11. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to each other. You shall not swear by, not, by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Numbers 30, verses 1 and 2. Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel and said, This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. I talk for a living, right? I do a lot of talking. A lot of words come out of my mouth. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. That's, right? This is scary. This is convicting, okay? Deuteronomy 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily, this is great, for you have voluntarily vowed. No one's forced you. You shall be careful what you do, what, you shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So it's heavy. It's heavy. So this is what, again, stands behind the thought of Jesus here in this moment. This is the kind of teaching within the law of Moses that he would have had in mind here, and so would the crowd, which is why then he comes along and says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, these things, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you as God himself, as the one to whom these vows are made, but I say to you, don't take an oath at all. Don't take an oath at all. But simply let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Now again, we've got, we got to clarify a little bit. What Christ doesn't have in mind here, uh, you know, is if you've gone to the courtroom or you, you know, were uh, deposed and had to be a witness or something like that, right? He not, he's not, not, doesn't have in mind those kinds of things. He doesn't have in mind like the vow you took at your wedding, right? It's a very, very good vow to have made before God, okay? Rather, what he does have in mind, again, is the fact that Old Testament laws, like the one I just read, existed in the first place because we as a human race have proven ourselves to be very fickle to be very untrustworthy. In fact, we're so untrustworthy that we have to be reminded in the moment we're trying to prove our trustworthiness not to even then be dishonest, 
and to then only be people of words and not actual actions or guarantees or, or faithfulness that stands behind those words. It reminds me, actually, and I've mentioned this before, Seinfeld uh, has this great bit where he says the only thing dumber, okay, only thing dumber than the helmet is the helmet law, okay? And then follow his logic here, okay? The only thing dumber than the helmet is the helmet law. No offense to Frank, you ride motorcycles, okay? So you, yeah, you wear helmet, no offense, okay? But here, here's, here's what he means, okay? Instead of us stopping these lifestyles that might crack our heads open, okay? We have invented a plastic hat to wear and still continue our head-cracking lifestyles, okay? That's what he says. But Seinfeld says the only thing dumber is the brain that's working so poorly, it doesn't even want to protect the head that it's in, so a law has to come along to say, no, you should wear a helmet, okay? Do you get that, the logic there? Okay, well, that's the same thing kind of here with the law of God, okay? You have heard that it was said, don't swear falsely, Okay, but he's saying, that, but now, now a law has to come along to remind you to actually be trustworthy in those moments. In other words, he's saying, don't be so dishonest that in the moment of establishing your trustworthiness, you're even dishonest then. But again, be people of integrity. Be people who follow after their words. Don't swear by every name you can think of. That's why he gives all these examples. You know, heaven, Earth, Jerusalem, the city of the king. I swear by my own head. I swear I'll make my hair black or white, like he says, right? Don't swear by any name you can think of, but then maybe only keep your promise after someone has begged and hemmed and hawed. And then you keep your promise because you realize in that moment it's more convenient to simply keep your promise than have to keep up with the complaining of those around you, or you will now follow through on your promise, but only because if I don't do that, I'm going to look stupid, or I'm going to look dumb. Christ says, I have a bright idea. How about, how about we just be people who do what we say we'll do? Who do what we say we'll do? How about we tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? How about we don't open our mouths and make these big, big promises unless we can, what? Actually deliver on them. Actually follow through on them. How about we have such consistency of integrity that when we say something to someone or promise something to someone, our character precedes us and we don't require vows or, or fancy speaking at all. How about as people, and again, this can apply to all of us at any point of our lives, how about we are people who under-promise but over-deliver? This is what Christ is getting at here. The intention behind these laws, the intention behind these words. When you say you're going to do something, will you? And you can now see how he's getting at, again, behind the letter of the law to the actual Intent. And we could begin to see now how this has all different implications in our lives. It can have implications in our family life. When we promise something to a brother, when we promise something to a parent, are we the kind of person who follows through 
on it. In our interpersonal life, friends and neighbors and coworkers, what is the reputation that precedes us in terms of our words and our actions? Is our talk cheap or are we people, again, whose character precedes us that our words and our promises and our intentions actually carry weight? How about in your business life? Maybe you run a business. When you say you're going to do something, do you? When you're asked for genuine commentary on something, are you truthful? Again, in your business life, how does that work? If you promise to be done by this time, if you promise a job, if, you have, if you're under contract, are you the kind of business that has earned that reputation for always following through on the things promised? Again, these are the ethical implications that we're called to ask ourselves based on the original law, but then again, Jesus is, you know, uh, deeper drilling into these laws. And the, and the question then is, if we're not, so if we're not all of these things, not people of, of, of great integrity in our words, not people of great follow-through, then we must ask ourselves, why not? What's the, what's the problem? What, what's the breakdown? For instance, if we can often be procrastinators when keeping our promises, why? If we often only fulfill obligations half-heartedly, again, why? Why do we often bend the truth if we feel insecure about something? Why? Well, I would argue that the reason why we can fall into those traps is more theological than we realize. It's more theological than we realize. So for instance, take procrastination or, or half-hearted fulfillment of obligations, for example. Again, maybe we're somebody again, who makes good promises, who, who makes you know, guarantees, but then we're just simply slow to follow through on them. I can fall into that category very easily. Good intentions, promises, you know, but then just maybe, maybe slow in the actual follow-through. Again, why do we do that? Why do we procrastinate? Or again, maybe, why do we just half-heartedly fulfill the obligations? Well, I would argue it's often because we forget that we live all of our lives, and I mentioned this last week, we live all of our lives quorum Deo. If we're honest, in those moments where we fall into that procrastination trap or, or delayed fulfillment trap. I think it's because we honestly, in that moment, forget that we live all of life before the face of God. All of life, quorum Deo, as that Latin phrase uh, implies. And we forget that we're called to do everything to the glory of God, not just worship here in the sanctuary, but everything to his glory. Colossians 3 says this, whatever you do, whatever you do, if you're in business, if you're a real estate agent, if you're an architect, if you're a pastor, if you're a school teacher, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So again, that's hard to do sometimes, right? Because we see that client's face and it's the client who always complains and it's the client who's not nice. And they're kind of rude, you know? And they root for like the, the Buffalo Bills or somebody. 
You know, I just don't like, I'm a Dolphins fan, right? We see that, that client and we, and we forget, oh no, but behind that client's face stands what? The image of God. And we serve the Lord and not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as, you are, as a reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Luke 16 says this, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? Again, we forget that we can live all of life before the face of God, that everything we do is to his glory. That again then puts a little bit more of a weight on the promises we make to the image bearers of God to each other. Again, continue that, that business dealing example for a moment. What if the person you signed a contract with was Christ himself? Think about that. What if that contract you exchanged wasn't with John Smith, but it was with Jesus Christ? I mean, wouldn't you be a little more motivated <laughs> to make good on your words? <laughs> to go above and beyond, to go the extra mile in your service? Of course you would. Of course he would. Would Jesus have to beg you and call you and leave you multiple voicemails before you finally called him back? That's convicting for me. Many of you text me, call me. I'm not always good about calling you back right away. You can, you can admit that. You can tell, you've told me that. Well, again, it's convicting for me. What if Christ left me a voicemail? You see, you see where we're going here. Again, all of life is lived quorum Deo. We have to remember that. What about... So if that's procrastination and that's you know, delayed fulfillment, what about truth bending? What about the times where we are just simply bending the truth or we're, we're dishonest? And again, the range can be varied. There's times where we are really dishonest and there's the, the big lies and the just mess that we create for ourselves by bending the truth. But then there's also you know, smaller lies white lies, we call them, you know, things that we kind of maybe are okay with, respectable sins, respectable lies. Again, the, 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 the spectrum is varied. But again, what, what happens there? Why do we do that? Why do we bend the truth, hide the truth, sugarcoat the truth? Well, again, what happens in those moments is we become scared of the truth, and we especially become scared of it when we realize the truth will hurt us. And I mentioned that at the beginning of the sermon. That when our, when our self-interest is in jeopardy, we are most tempted then to not follow through on our words, our vows, our oaths. We are tempted to loosen our grip on the truth just a little bit if the truth will make us look bad, if it will reveal our failure or our forgetfulness, if it will reveal some deficiency in our knowledge or skill. And again, to continue the Seinfeld you know, imagery for you, the example of that, if you watched a show ever in your life, was George Costanza. George Costanza was like the quintessential example of always just tweaking the truth a little bit or hiding it or bending it just slightly because he was really insecure about who he was. 
So he would create a lie to cover it, but then the problem was the lies became so grandiose and required more lies and more intricate lies that he created this prison for himself that was really more painful and more difficult and more inconvenient than simply telling the truth in the beginning. Well, again, this is what we do. So the answer is in, well, what if you truly believed you never needed to tell anything but the truth because whatever you're looking to gain in falsehood, you already have in Christ. Do you see how that works? That we bend the truth or we cover it or we mask it or we change it because we think in doing so it will improve our state or our condition or our status somehow. But in doing that, in that moment, we forget that whatever it is we're seeking pales in comparison to what we've already been given in Christ. The status we're looking for, the security we're looking for, the prestige or reputation that we're looking for pales in comparison to those things that Christ has already given you in the gospel, the identity as one of his children the prestige of being a child of God, the identity of being a son or a daughter. Whatever it is that we're looking to gain through falsehood, again, it's shifting sand. It's, it's, it doesn't compare to, again, what we've been given in the gospel. So you can see here how even in these moments of something so simple as just like, you know, embellishing the truth is actually a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. In that moment, we are forgetting all that we've been given in Christ. And so we can be truth tellers because it's Christ himself who says the truth will set us free. The truth will set us free. And as we begin to see, it's Jesus himself who stands at the heart of his own teaching. It's Christ himself who stands at the center of the Mosaic law. And that's why throughout this sermon, he continues to say that he did not come to abolish it, but he came to fulfill it. And we see, again, this played out perfectly in the gospel. Follow me for a moment. God's command that we be truthful with our words and speech is the product, or it's the outcropping, of God first being truthful in his. That we are the people of truth in our words and speech precisely because we are children of the God who is always truthful in his. And never was this put on better display than in the gospel itself for what is Jesus called, particularly in the gospel of John? He is called the word. He is called the word. The word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Think about that. That God is always being faithful and true to his word. That God's words matter. That God's words are faithful. That God's words are active. So he speaks to creation into existence. Let there be light and it's follow through. Let there be light and it happens. The Apostle Paul later picks up on that, on, that, on that image, and he says in 2 Corinthians, For God, who said, let light shine from darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face 
of Christ Jesus. So he speaks the world into existence, and then what does he do next? He speaks salvation into existence, if you will, and there's follow-through, there's activity. And of course, he does so by sending forth that saving, that recreating word in human form, namely Jesus, the word who became flesh. And it's that word of God, Jesus, again himself, who boldly and assuredly proclaims the truth of God, who boldly and assuredly promises to forgive us all our sins and make us new, and it happens. It happens. All the promises of God, all of his bold claims, all of the realities that seem to be too good to be true, we find out what? are true, are true, that there's follow through, that God, again, to go back to the beginning, that God was not crying wolf when he said, though your sins are like scarlet, it will be made white as snow, that God was not crying wolf when he said, as far as the east is from the west, so far will I remove your transgressions from you, but when he said that, When he spoke that, it happened. It happened. It was made manifest. His love to us, even the foulest of sinners, which again is why Paul will elsewhere say in 2 Corinthians that all of God's promises do what? They find their yes in Jesus. All of God's promises find their yes, their fulfillment, their manifestation in Jesus. And so again, everything that we hoped God would be, everything we hoped he would be, merciful and loving, gracious and compassionate, we again see delivered and proven true in the word Christ Jesus. So again, the connection for us is between the truthfulness of God to his word, and now the truthfulness of us as his witnesses to others. And that's the connection. That's the connection. So again, how about you this morning? How about you this morning? Wherever he's placed you as one of his children, one of his sons, one of his daughters, wherever he's placed you as one who has grabbed on to that word who became flesh, Christ Jesus, where has he called you to be truthful? Where has he called you to be a person of your word even when it hurts sometimes? Where has he called you to be that witness to others, that witness to the truthfulness of God? Because what does Christ say to us? We will know the truth. And thankfully we do by his grace. And it's the truth which will always set us free. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word to us in the gospel. We thank you for the word of our pardon in Christ. We thank you, God, that you delivered on all of your promises to us. Not one was accepted. Not one was exempted. But you have followed through and you have done for us what we can never do for ourselves. You have saved us. You have forgiven us. You have redeemed us. You love us still. Your word never returns void. 
Your word accomplishes what it says it's going to do. So Lord, we take great hope and comfort in that this morning, and we pray, Lord, that such fidelity on your part would motivate us and empower us to be people of similar fidelity in the world you've placed us in, similar faithfulness and speech. That again, we would be people of our words because you are the God of yours. That we would be people of our words because we ultimately stand on that greater word, the word of God, as we see it printed in the scripture, but even more powerfully, that word who became flesh, Christ Jesus, and dwelt among us. So Lord, would you forgive us for the moments where we have not been true to this teaching of Christ? Where our yes has not always been a yes? Where our no has not always been a no? Where we have, broken, we have broken promises to others? Would you forgive us, Lord, for those times? And again, would you empower us afresh to be people faithful to your word from now on? So we love you, we thank you, we praise you. In Christ's name, amen.